1110-993 WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110-1800 WBT-1110. I think, as I said in the last hour, I think the fundamental question here is uh, whether or not you believe Donald Trump could actually win the presidency in two more years. He's going to announce he's running again. He's already started to attack Ron DeSantis. He did it to uh, Glenn Youngkin as well today. So he's attacking fellow Republicans. And I put fellow in in quotes there. Um, so he's attacking members of his own party because uh, the, he views them as threats. He doesn't want them to get into the race. And if he can kind of bully them out now, so be it. And then he doesn't have to worry about spending any money on a primary fight. Um, and so if, if you agree, this is the fundamental question. Can he win again? Right. You're making some judgment based on past performance and some prediction. Yes, but some of the past indicators. And for me, there's one that occurred in this cycle that has me concerned, which is this. Democrats and uh, and left wing donors, they funded America first or MAGA uh, Trumpist aligned uh, candidates, right? They put money in primaries to get the Trump-endorsed, Trump-supported candidates through because the Democrats believed that those candidates would be easier to defeat in the general election. And they batted a 1,000 on that. Every single race that they did that in, they were successful, right? They bet that these MAGA-affiliated candidates would lose swing state races, and it worked. And if it worked in those races, why wouldn't they do it again with Donald Trump himself? They did it with him last time, right? They just didn't think he would win. This is the same play, right? In 2016, he got all the airtime. They televised all the rallies, right? Because they all thought, I mean, the Hillary Clinton campaign was like, you know, yes, let's elevate this guy. Everybody was was kind of cheering on Donald Trump on the left because they thought he was such a joke they would be able to steamroll him. And then <laughs> the joke was on them, that he beat her. He beat her. And I think anybody could have beaten her. I really do. Because she is that terrible of a candidate. And a person, apparently. But whatever. Like, just a bad candidate. So they did it in 2016. They did it this time around with all of these other Trump-endorsed candidates. Why wouldn't they do it again? That's what we're seeing right now, by the way. This is the exact thing that we're seeing occur right now where you've got Dems and you've got media, and but I repeat myself, and, and, and you've got never-Trumpers, and they are trying to get DeSantis and Yunkin and Trump. They're trying to get them all to fight, and they want all of the supporters of both camps to fight because it divides. They benefit in this environment. And so if they're, I mean, maybe they're wrong again. Maybe they put a bunch of money uh, and effort to get Trump into the primary, uh, get him through a primary, get him into the general because they think they can beat him again this time. And maybe they're wrong again. I mean, this would be the rubber match, right? All right. Uh, let me go back to the phones here. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Jimmy is up next. Hello, Jimmy. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. Hey. Uh, you know, he hurt me this week, you know, Trump. Attacking the Santos the way he did, it, you know, it just, it just hurt my heart because I, I'm a Trump guy. I, I voted for Trump, um, but the Santos is he's 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 the, like I I think I've said this before. He's the smart Trump. No, oh, jeez. 
Oh my goodness. I think Donald Trump is a smart guy. I just don't think he has political the political chops uh, that uh, uh, other people have. And I think DeSantis does have better uh, political instincts. Well, I shouldn't say instincts because I think Trump has decent political instincts. I do. Um, I'm not so sure if it's a uh, better or worse than DeSantis, but DeSantis is a smoother, polished deliverer of the message. Yeah, the Santos works better even in those, you know, the purple areas of mm-hmm. the, of the nation. Trump works great when it's just flat out red. When it's just flat out red, you know, his, yeah. his candidates can win. He can win, but most of the country's not. It's just not. It's just a, it's a it's a lot of purple. Right. <laughs> well, and that so therein lies the question, right? If if the Democrats just prove to us in a midterm that they can fund uh, Trump endorsed candidates, they can then tag them as, you know, quote, crazy, seditionists. Right. They can they can smear them with those labels because they're aligned with Trump. And in the purple areas, they lose. What does that mean? Well, it means that I mean, I can I think it's logical to assess that as well. That's likely to mean also that that Trump doesn't fare very well in those spots, too. And when you do the math, uh, Eric Erickson did this uh, earlier today. You look at the the electoral map, and he doesn't have... Biden's already got enough electoral college votes. If the states that went... If the purple states that went uh, blue this week go blue again, Trump loses. So... Exactly, and it's a waste. You know, you, you waste it. You know, that, you know, that election cycle, you just wasted it. Right. Yeah. And then Biden's in for another four years and God only knows what the down ballot races look like, too. Yeah. Well, well I don't I don't think he, he he's going to run. I don't think they'll let him run. Oh, Biden? Like, yeah. I uh. think they'll put a fresh face up there. They'll put the guy from California out there against Trump. And folks are going to say, well, the new guy, he can't be like Biden. He, you know, he's got his marbles. <laughs> and that, they'll go with that. Yeah, we'll that's possible. And, and we'll be in the same fix we are now, but worse. Yeah, because he'll be. Yeah, because then he'll get to run for re-election again. No, that's that's fair, Jimmy. I appreciate your call. Uh, I did get a uh, tweet here from uh, my friend Ray, uh, my friend Ray Cooper. Uh, he says, "Pete, wouldn't sore loser laws keep Trump from running third party if he ran in the GOP primary and did not get the nomination?" even if not in every state, is enough to make a run pointless unless he just ran to destroy. So I would completely forgotten. You were exactly right, Ray. Um, so many states uh, adopted the sore loser laws. Remember this? Sore loser law? It, it started right around the time when Trump was running in 2016, a little bit before, actually. But most states have these now. If you run in a party's primary, you don't get to then bail out of that party and run as a, another party's candidate. Can't do it. But you could run you could run a Ross Perot type race, right? And you could just take shots at everybody. You don't necessarily have to be a part of a party. But that's a that's a good point. I totally forgot about the sore loser laws. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Hello, Chris. Hi, how you doing? Hey, I'm well. Uh, the one thing I wanted uh, to to say was Donald Trump was the impetus for many people registering and voting for the first time in 2016. People who were in their 40s who never voted. Mm-hmm. He motivated people to get registered and vote. And I think that needs to be thought about in the context of his capabilities of running for re-election and motivating people to vote. But 
Me personally, I'm a Donald Trump supporter, but I don't want him to run again. I don't, I, you know, I think we, he's too old. We need somebody who can do, do eight years. Is what mm. we need. No, that's, that's, that, yeah, because he would only be able to do the four. And that's then right. we would, yeah, we would have an open uh, race then again in four more years, yeah, in, in 28. Right. Thank you. Yeah, Chris, I appreciate it. No, Chris, very fair point. This was one of the things that early on in the, the, the Trump ascendancy, this was one of the things that was so attractive to, uh, you know, quote, the establishment to the Republican Party was that he was bringing in all of these people, people who had never. I remember talking to them when I, I was up in Asheville. There were a whole bunch of these sort of mountain Democrats that were just disaffected. They didn't think their votes mattered. They didn't care. He made politics fun. Right. And uh, he, 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 you know, he spoke to them at a level they could totally understand. I had to have a lot of like Trump whisperers. That would, uh, you know, that they would translate for me because I. They, this is where I was told you got to take him liter- You got to take him seriously, not literally. And I said, I don't know what that means. And so then people would try to decipher it for me, you know. Um, but he did bring so many people into the party that had not voted before, and this was what um, a lot of, or they were voting for a lot of people. Remember this: a lot of these voters that went for Trump, they were Obama voters first, right? They supported Obama at least in the first run. Maybe not the second time, but the first time they did. A lot of blue-collar, non-college degree people, and they then went for Trump. And Because remember, everybody was like, oh, he's some rich billionaire from New York and all this, but, but he's a working guy. He's been, like, that's the thing, he talks like a guy off of the streets of Queens. He does. Trust me, I know. He's, <laughs> my mom's from Queens. I can tell you this. My whole mom's side of the family is from Queens. My dad's side's from the Bronx, so I get it. Like, that's, like I understand Trump as a figure, you know, and the way he speaks, I get his jokes a lot of times. People don't understand his jokes. He said the other day, like, oh, I'll get all the credit if my people win and none of the blame if they lose. That's a joke. I took that as a joke. But the way he delivers it, he just, he never laughs. He's just very dry about it. Anyway, um, he brought all these people in, much like the Tea Partiers did. It rejuvenated the party. and, And the leadership thought this is something that we can build off of and... Unfortunately, they lost some they lost some other members of their coalition in the process. The GOP did. And so now they got to figure out how do you rebuild a coalition? What's the central animating theses here? And this is where the leadership matters. And guys like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, they ain't going to cut it. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're not going to cut it. I credit them where it's due. They are able to get things through when they want to. But the things that they want to get done... I'm not so sure it's the stuff that the coalition really gives two wits about, let's say. Happy Veterans Day 2022, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Jason Lewis, the former congressman, former radio host, and he filled in uh, yesterday for uh, Brett Winterbull. 
Uh, he said that long before the votes were tallied on Tuesday night, the establishment went to work on the disappearing red wave. Mitch McConnell's self-serving warning that candidate quality uh, has a lot to do with the outcome. Translated, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. That ca- The comment had long been forgotten in a wave of Pollyannish polling. Once the Republican sweep failed to materialize, it was resurrected in a New York minute. And then everybody began blaming the candidate quality. He went after Mark Thiessen. Uh, Jason Lewis did. He said uh, Thiessen didn't mention the Senate Leadership Fund had abandoned Arizona for Alaska to prop up Mitch McConnell backer Lisa Murkowski. Right. Regardless, the implication was clear. These MAGA candidates underperformed and by inference, former President Donald Trump continues to drag down the ticket. It's a facile explanation. Considering the GOP continued its gains from 2020 and will take the House and perhaps the Senate in 2022. Right? We still don't know. Isn't that amazing? We still don't know all the results. The anti-Trump pundits point to the gap between establishment Republican gubernatorial office holders like Ohio's Mike DeWine, who cruised to victory, and the MAGA candidates who trailed behind. Now, Lewis goes on to say that these, the, the gaps weren't that, uh, weren't that big. In some other cases, they were quite small. Um, he says Tuesday's elections were really about, uh, regardless of party, they were about incumbency and money. The Senate Leadership Fund played heavily in places like Ohio. It's one of the best places where a GOP challenger could win. It should have meant le- it should not have meant leaving other Republican candidates locked in tough races, withering on the vine. However, uh, let me go back to the phones here. Here is Jim. Welcome to the program, Jim. How are you? Hey, Pete, hey. I agree with Lewis um, about the incumbent the money. Biden's been there for years. Uh, we owe $30 trillion. And the most animated speech I've ever heard Obama give, it, you've probably heard it right on WBC about a week and a half ago, was about your Social Security getting taken away. Yeah, I, no, I hear you, Jim. Your your call is breaking up. I agree. I, yeah, I heard the call. It was, yeah, Obama was all fired up, yelling and screaming. Um, but yeah, if you want to try to call back on a different cell, maybe it'll be uh, it'll be a better connection. I'm sorry about that. Let me go over here to Chris. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Hey, man, what's up? I understand. I fully uh, agree with the point of how Senate Leadership Fund didn't di- uh, diversify its funds very well, but at the same time, I still feel as if that we had uh, undeniably terrible candidates that Trump endorsed. And uh, besides the Trump candidates, I mean, there weren't many establishment candidates that were too terrible that, you know, performed by that they like they shouldn't have. But we had plenty of races where Trump candidates just completely fell. And uh, I think that is a reflection of, you know, mostly just Trump's ego and not a reflection of how the party actually needs to be. So I think Mitch McConnell made the right decision in choosing not to, you know, prop up Trump candidates, because at the end of the day, it's just going to further divide the party. Right, but why would you prop up Lisa Murkowski, who well, has you know, voted against Republican priorities and issues for years? She voted against Brett Kavanaugh. You're right. I, I, I think Murkowski's probably the exception. I would agree okay. with that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's, the, that's why I say that people don't... These guys have been in leadership posts too long. Nobody trusts them, I don't think. Um and uh, there were two. There were a couple. Hang on a second. And Chris, I do appreciate the call. There was a uh, David Hersani at the Federalist. He talks about um, some of the House races that people point to. 
And one of them is North Carolina, Bo Hines versus Wiley Nickel, Lauren Boebert versus Adam Frisch. Now, one of these now looks like it's going to stay in Republican hands. Lauren Boebert looks like she's going to pull this out. And uh, Bo Hines had a bunch of baggage that really, I mean, I don't know if you can tag Trump with that because, yes, he had the Trump endorsement, but he was also, you know, kind of bouncing around trying to find a, a district that he could run in. So he was viewed as a carpetbagger. And that's a that's a tough rep to shake. But Harsani also notes that you notice that every Republican loss gets chalked up to, like, abortion, for example. But the reverse is not. In Iowa, you had um, the pro-life candidate Zach Nunn won. Virginia, uh, pro-life nurse practitioner won, right? So you have all these you have other candidates and governors. They did very, very well. And but the media is automatically racing to frame these results. And we still don't even know what all of the results are. I mean, I'm looking at the New York Times uh, page here right now. One hundred ninety five Democrats to two hundred eleven Republicans. And there is um, still undecided. Twenty nine races. Which is astounding. We're a, we're a banana republic here. How can we not count these votes? It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Happy Veterans Day. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Thank you for your service and family members as well. Thank you uh, for your sacrifice as well. And uh, welcome home to all those uh, who haven't yet been welcomed home. All right. We're talking about uh, this piece by Jason Lewis, former congressman uh, and former WBT radio host. And he was talking about this actually yesterday, but uh, he wrote about it at the Daily Caller. He said this was essentially about incumbency and money, what we saw on Tuesday. In an era dominated by outside money, the lack of support quickly becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And no amount of candidate cold cold calls can come close to matching kingmakers like the Congressional Leadership Fund that would prefer to play in safer House districts where they can rack up a better win-loss record for the next cycle. That way, the swamp never loses. Only "quote unquote" bad candidates do. You understand what he's taught, what what he's outlining here, and what he explained on uh, yesterday's show when he filled in for Brett Winterbull was that um, you've got this this cycle where these or the, like the Congressional Leadership Fund or the Senate Leadership Fund they will go into the races where they have the best shot to win, not simply because it's going to pad their majorities or anything like that, or whatever, it doesn't matter, but they want the win-loss record to look good because that then feeds the consultant class, literally feeds them. That's how they make their money. So, yeah, let's pour a bunch of money into, you know, Lisa Murkowski's Alaska race. Why? Just because she's a vote for McConnell. That's it. That was the only reason. You could have had a Republican, but that, eh, I don't know, she was a little too MAGA-adjacent. And so, therefore, we can't trust her to vote for McConnell, so don't back her. 
All right, let me go back to the phones here. This is Darren. Welcome to the program. Darren, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. What's up? First of all, um, thank you for everybody. Um, I, you know, the biggest kingmaker of all is Barack Obama. He made it very clear to everybody he would love a third term if he was in his basement where a microphone, the next guy has to hear and tell him what to do. And that's what he's been doing for two. Uh, is this our phone system that's broken like this? Or is, I think, are you driving, Darren? I am. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You were breaking up. I'm just saying he, Barack Obama is the president right now and, and all, and he made it very clear. If he could sit in his basement and talk to somebody and tell them what to do, he'd, he'd love that. He'd love that third term. And that's what he's gotten. And he wants a fourth term now. Well, I would agree that that Joe Biden uh, 1.0 is the equivalent of Obama 3.0. I, I I agree. The same people that are staffing uh, all of the offices around Joe Biden, all of his advisors and aides, right? They're all the same people. These are all the same people. These are the ones that were weeping. Remember when uh, they were all gathered in the Rose Garden uh, press briefing, whatever, and Obama was, you know, giving them a little bit of a pep talk after Hillary lost. Um, to Trump, and they were they were crying like that's who's back in the White House now. All those people, they're all back there. Yeah, so I, yeah, I understand that. Thing. I, I think they they will uh, fight for a another term for Joe. Um, uh, some of us, I mean, some Democrats would be like, well, you know, we don't want Joe again, but Barack's going to fight for it because he's telling him what to do. Well, that's a, yeah, yeah. If he's yeah, if people perceive Biden as just the puppet, then it doesn't even matter. Uh, you're not comparing Biden to Trump. You're comparing Obama exactly. to Trump. And more people are going to pick Obama then. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Darren, thanks for the call, sir. I appreciate it. Goodbye. Hi, man. Uh, let me go over here to Ralph and get him on before the break. Hello, Ralph. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hey. Uh, you know, I wish the Republicans would communicate when, you know, uh, this. they say the abortion situation Roe versus Wade was on the election ticket. Why not go to a simple fact and tell them about what about all the free contraception that the government gives out and everything? And it would make it so simple that there is a simple solution not to get pregnant. Well, Republicans did attempt to get the uh, get the pill, right? Birth control pill to get it uh, over the counter. And Democrats blocked that. But this is this goes to one of the points that uh, who made this? Uh, I'm trying to. Remember. It was a fella at AMAC of all places, uh, Seamus Brennan, I believe. Um, he was making this argument that uh, a lot of these sort of you know Mitch McConnell leadership type Republicans they don't want to have these culture war arguments. It makes them uncomfortable. They don't want to do it. Now, what I would submit Donald Trump has done as well as Ron DeSantis, but I think DeSantis does it better. Uh, on uh, on some of the culture war issues, take the fight to the opponents. And a lot of Republicans don't like doing that. And I think Trump has taught a valuable lesson to a lot of Republican candidates that are now on the up and up, that or up and coming, I should say, that they, like, they, they are now walking towards the fight, which is what they need to be doing. Well, if we, if we don't, we're going to be walking off the cliff. You know, and we this country cannot endure... 
four more years of liberal policies. I mean, I have so many friends in business that went out of business mm-hmm. and everything, and, and you're looking at the, you know, real estate attorneys and stuff like that are really suffering now. And we're seeing layoffs in, in real estate offices, law firm offices. And so, you know, until people get an understanding, and if they're just voting on emotions and voting on hating the orange man, why in the hell are they, you know, they're going out seven or $8,000 mm-hmm. of their own money for this self-greed of hatred. Well, but that also raises the stakes, right? They hate Donald Trump so much that they are willing to suffer personal pain, although right now I would submit they're probably not seeing it. I think once people start losing jobs and mass, then I think people are going to maybe think twice about it. And you could end up with a situation where uh, Biden or whoever the Democrat is loses to Donald Trump only because the economic situation is so much worse than it is right now. Um, so there is that possibility. But I think also the same people that hate Trump so much that they're willing to endure those hardships, um, that I think those are the same people that are also going to demand that government give them more help. Right. Look, I I mean, think about it. It's a transactional relationship. I'm going to vote against your political enemy, the orange man. So you need to pay me because the, your, your economy is crap. Right. So like that's the idea. I'm, I'll take your money. You give me some more stimulus checks or rescue plan, bailout money, whatever. You forgive my college loans. You know, like th- that was the bribe that they offered last time. And now look what happened. A federal judge just turned around and said, yeah, no, you can't do that. That's unconstitutional. So all these folks were promised a bribe. Now that's not going to get paid. But the Democrats got paid. They got their votes. Well, and I do notice just in my socioeconomic group, a lot of these liberals do drive the electric car. So don't you get like a five grand tax break? So they're they're only down a couple thousand dollars due to inflation. Yeah. No, I hear you. uh, Ralph, thanks for the call, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, like this is this is what the Republicans are going to have to grapple with. Right. They have to have this discussion about is Trump good for our prospects? Can he win? Because the only way you stop this stuff from happening is if you win you, and you got to, it's got to be more than just the presidency. You got to have a governing majority that is on the same page as whoever the president is. Otherwise you can't, you, you, you can't take it to the left because you're going to be too busy fighting and the media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, they will be more than happy to stoke the divisions within the right. We see it happening right now. And of course, Donald Trump plays right into this as well because, well, I'll, I'll get to, we're going to get to his comments here. I'm going to get to his comments. Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. There's a guy, his name is Don Serber. He's a, he's very Trumpian, he's a Trumpist, right? Loves Donald Trump. He wrote a piece today over on his, uh, his website, donserber.blogspot. He also has a sub stack, whatever. But he's a big time uh, pro-Trump guy, and he wrote a piece called Life After Trump. 
He said, we can spend months in denial, but the fact is Americans do not want Donald John Trump to be their president. He did not save the Republican Party. He spent it. He says, we, his fans, see the good in him and the evil in his enemies. But the majority doesn't and never will. It is a sale that cannot be made. There will be no second term for the Donald. It breaks my heart to see this. I wrote three books on the man. Looking for someone else, likely DeSantis, will cost me readers. As I said about the COVID vaccine, you do you. But Trump failed. He cost America the red tsunami. We need to rein in the Democrats. I really wanted Trump to come back, but I just don't see it. He's damaged goods done in by Barack Obama and the FBI and the Washington media. That is evil. That is unfair. That is the world we live in. For, like Sarah Palin, our enemies turned Trump into an albatross. He came so close to bringing Washington down that they now will destroy him, ruin his children, and salt his fields because he threatened them. He came ever so close. The good news is Trump softened the field. The better news is Florida is now redder than any state, including West Virginia. Again, that's from, that's from Don Serber, a guy who wrote three books in praise of Trump. You cannot say that this guy is part of some Paul Ryan, Jeb Bush-led cabal, okay? I mean, that's what's kind of comical to me about the, the, uh, the, the Trumpist attack on DeSantis all of a sudden. As if DeSantis wasn't one of the founders of the Freedom Caucus. My God. If you don't understand what Trump is doing to DeSantis and now to Yunkin, I, I would submit that you're, I would submit your line. If you are a big time hardcore Donald Trump fan and you're trying to attack DeSantis for some, you know, reasons like he met with Paul Ryan. By the way, that was not recent. That was like in 2018, I think. But Paul Ryan, remember, Paul Ryan was the guy that the Freedom Caucus with Mark Meadows, who I know because he was my congressman out in Western North Carolina, and I talked with him at great length about this stuff during that time period. And Meadows led the effort to get Boehner out. They were a thorn in Paul Ryan's side. They cut and they said, we'll, we'll let Paul Ryan in there, but we, we want concessions. And they made his life so miserable that he quit, too. <laughs> so I'm supposed to believe that these are the same people, these Freedom Caucus guys, like they're the same people that that are now like sold out to Paul Ryan and Jeb Bush and the establishment. I, I find that really, really hard to believe. Do you know why Donald Trump endorsed Ted Budd and not Mark Walker? Mark Meadows. That's why. Because Mark Meadows was a member of the Freedom Caucus. And Mark Meadows really didn't like Mark Walker. Because Mark Walker had his own little conservative caucus club in the Congress. That was, you know, we are more conservative than you. And there was this, this wizen match over who was the actual conservative caucus. Right? Ted Budd, I think, right? Wasn't he a member of the Freedom Caucus? Right? So that endorsement came... At the urging of Mark Meadows, who really didn't like Mark Walker. I don't know what his feelings were on Pat McCrory. 
but now I'm supposed to believe that another Freedom Caucus guy, Ron DeSantis, is somehow aligned with the, quote, establishment or something all of a sudden just because it happens to conveniently line up with a benefit for Donald Trump. Look, you know what's happening. I know what's happening. Donald Trump is trying to brand any potential rival. The worst thing is, though, is that he's doing it before these people are even announced candidates. If you want to go after them once they're in the field, I have no problem with that. But they haven't even announced. So right now all you're doing is just, you're just flinging poo on them, on your own side. Why would you, I know why, I know why. You know why as well. I'm not, look, I don't blame Trump for the performance of all of the candidates Yes, uh, or uh, Tuesday. I think that's unfair to him. I think he makes endorsements for a variety of reasons. He endorses a lot of these candidates after their primary wins. So it's kind of like, yeah, sure, I'll endorse you. You won, right? I mean, what, what is he going to endorse the Democrat? So, well, I mean, actually, now that I say that, he, yeah, he very well could have. Um, but no, he. some of these endorsements are just, uh, hey, can you do me a solid, you know, endorse Linda Bennett over this Madison Cawthorn guy. Whoops, got that one wrong, right? So he makes endorsements for people, someone... Some lost. Same thing for the, quote, establishment candidates. Some won, some lost. So I don't hang that around his neck. Why would I? You can't blame him for Tuesday. That being said, the party's got a decision to make. Can this guy win? Or is he going to harm the entire party down ballot? They better figure it out pretty soon, I think. (laughs) 